Welcome to Midweek Liberty, a program where we hope to inspire your mind towards critical thinking. I'm Reverend J. Dylan Proctor, but I'm not alone here in Cord Purgatory. Also with me here in the studio is... Anthony Alegria. And in our program today, we're going to be discussing a recent incident involving voodoo. We're going to be discussing superstition as opposed to admiration and the problem of choosing certain virtues at the expense of others. We're actually going to begin with the story of this recent incident involving voodoo, and I really want to frame this conversation about the, the idea of superstition and how different that is from admiration. We hear this common claim in our culture and all throughout the West that superstition is the, the root of all religion, and I really want us to challenge that today. But for now, Anthony, would you go ahead and share with us this, this recent incident? Recently in Massachusetts, a five-year-old girl was permanently disfigured as a result of a voodoo ritual. Police discovered this while performing a wellness check. According to the information we have available to us, this incident took place over the course of several days, the middle of this January, 2018. According to the police, the ritual was being performed by two sisters who were attempting to exercise a demon causing the girl to misbehave. The girl who was the subject of this ritual has an eight-year-old brother who has helped reveal the details of the situation. According to the boy, his sister was tied down on multiple occasions while the women would blow fire over her face and slice her, the girl's arms and collar area, using a needle-like object and drawing blood. Also, some sort of substance was poured over the girl's face, which caused stinging. In the midst of this, the women were threatening to cut off the boy's head using a machete. Aside from threatening to cut off the head of the boy, the women also rubbed a plant-like substance on the boy, including on inappropriate areas of his body. The sisters who performed the ritual are named Peggy Labossier and Rachel Hilaire. They were arrested but denied harming the children. The children's mother is a hairdresser, and Labossier is one of her clients. All right, so we can all agree that this is bad behavior, but there is a serious question we have in response to this. Why would people be convicted to do this in in their home? Why would they be convicted to do this to the, to the children around them? So one of the popular themes we have in our, our culture is that religion emerges from superstition. Imagine you've heard this at some point in time. Anthony, is this something you've heard in, in your life? Oh, yes, of course. It's pretty widespread. Yeah, it's pretty widespread. It's often made by people who are atheists or... They, they may be any sort of thing, and they're, they're usually hostile towards Christians, and they make this because they want to discredit anything that they can associate with religion. It's, it's really a way of just discrediting things. However, I have two problems with this, and any rational person should have two problems with this. One, it's a cheap language-based tool to discredit things instead of actually constructing a, a real and meaningful argument. Um, you can just use language to discredit things, just saying, oh, snap, we, we called it this, we got this snap on, language-based tool, therefore it's discredited, we move along. That's not a good thing. We, we actually need to move away from that. And two, the second problem I have with this is that this argument that religion emerges from superstition is not actually substantiated. There's not actually any proof that this is true. And the logic itself falls apart quite quickly as we look at history and we look at especially the history of the West and we see that the Judeo-Christian values which have brought us where we are, they're able to transcend time because people admire something about the good. There's some sort of aspiration towards something better. So this logic even itself falls apart as you just look past the surface of it. So sure, there are a lot of bad theologies and pieces here and there in our world which are rooted in superstition. But the claim itself that religion and superstition are, are one-to-one with one another in, in their correlation, this just doesn't hold water. And I hate to be the guy that says we've got to substantiate every claim we make 
But our culture is at such an, unhealth, such an unhealthy place right now in terms of its ability to think critically that we really we have to, to substantiate claims and we have to, to call people on claims which aren't substantiated. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that that, you know, it is, it is pretty annoying having to sub- substantiate claims that we really shouldn't have to. I mean, there's always a constant argument over something that is clearly morally wrong, but someone will stand up against it. They'll say, you know, whatever this political issue is, there's nothing morally wrong about it, you know? But I will also say that there's a lot going on today as well that isn't substantiated enough. Yeah. And I'm sure Dylan has some examples on that. Yeah, well, even looking back to to this situation right now, this this hasn't been completely adjudicated in the court systems and and whatnot. We really hope and and pray that there can be restoration with this group of people. I hope that the children come out of this all right. I know that it's, as of now, believed that the, the girl has some serious scarring. We, we really do hope the best for this child, and we hope that this situation is not as bad as what it appears to be. But as we, we come to the, to the table, our culture is at such a place where people have been peeled apart by this moral relativism and this idea of everything is relative, there's no fixed morality, there's no fixed anything, that we now we can't come to terms on anything. We can't even understand one another with a general sentiment. And when it comes time to, to making life-altering decisions, when it comes time to making policy and people want to manipulate the world around us, we have to substantiate claims if we're going to be able to, to work effectively. People are, are more complicated than they are self-aware. We don't fully understand everything about ourselves. Uh, probably not going to get to that point. But at the same time, whenever we're making a claim and building off of that claim, we need to substantiate it. So <clears throat> back to this case. It's, it's pretty clear anybody who reads this, we're all going to come to for the most part, a consensus that says this is bad behavior. But we are challenged with this question of why would somebody be motivated or convicted to do this? Why would somebody have put their children in such a situation that they would be exposed to this? Why, why would somebody put their, their children in this danger? Why would people be convicted to do this? So I want to take a moment before we, we go any further and point out that I'm not a universalist, and please do not take this conversation that, that I'm somebody who is of the universalist mindset but I do want us to have a rational conversation about the motivations of this, the behaviors in this incident, as well as the moral architecture we need to, to move away from that. So my proposal for you is this. Good behaviors emerge from admiration. Christianity, at its very roots, produces a moral architecture built out of admiration for God. This claim that religion emerges out of superstition, not only does it not hold water, but it doesn't stand the test of time. Instead of being rooted just in pure superstition, it's rooted in something more than that. It's rooted in admiration, and those are very different. Sure, there are practices that have been within the church, there have been practices outside of the church which have emerged from superstition, but the ones which are able to transcend time, the the very architecture that Christ has placed upon our lives that we're to follow and live, it is something which improves humanity. It never moves people towards chaos. It takes people away from that when people are sincerely living it out. Contrary to the popular narrative, admiration not superstition, is the primary motivation for Christians. Or at least it should be. If, if we're something other than that, then there's probably some, some heresies or some other um, bad theology going on. And it's pretty clear in this case, as we, we look at this incident involving this, this child, that there is some level of, of superstition, or even if we can't pinpoint the exact motivation, we know that there is some inappropriate use of, of virtues here. There's something here that leads towards chaos. Chaos emerges out of superstition. And people have a, a natural tendency to understand that superstition has a connection to chaos. Hence, I think this is why it's such a popular 
argument that people who are opposed to the church use to say, oh, religion is just superstition. These people are just superstitious. That's why they, they have faith. Because if they can connect superstition to religion, then they can just discredit as chaos. They can say it's something corrupting. But this is not true. In nihilism and chaos, they are entirely juxtaposed to the nature of God. And that's just something that we, we need to point out. We need to, to call people when they, they make this claim of superstition that it's not. Nihilism and chaos are entirely juxtaposed to the nature of God. And tying this back to the incident, you know, we can clearly see that chaos is the overarching theme of what's taking place here. I mean, both between the adults and the suffering of the children. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of chaos going there. And what we see happening is, is a concept that really is a problem in our culture, and that's this idea of roaming virtues. And we've talked about this before. If you are familiar with any of the Kingdom of the Logos pro, uh, programming that we have, we've talked about roaming virtues. And it's this idea that you pick one virtue and you just love that, but you don't care for the others. This is something which is quite a big problem. And we, as a society, we need to, to get back to having a solid moral architecture. We need to, to get back in the church and, and get back to building a, a holistic, well-rounded morality. Obviously, these ladies were convicted on some level that this child had a demon. And there is clearly something going on here where their conviction overrides any other sensory input they may be having. Furthermore, you can see that some sort of superstition has caused them to overlook their rationality. And contrary to what pop culture also may tell you about faith and rationality, God encourages reason and rationality. We can find this even if you look in the Old Testament, places like the wisdom literature in the New Testament, the Paul's material, the Pauline letters, they're, they're filled with the, the challenge to renew your mind. And even if we look at the traditions we've had over the last thousand years of, of people like Thomas Aquinas, the, the divine gift of rationality is something which is very precious. And even the very notion of us being created in the image of God, that is extraordinarily consistent with the call of a wisdom and reason and, and pursuing the, the act, actions which come out of, of critical thinking. So good behaviors emerge from admiration of that which is good and virtuous, and bad behaviors emerge from the rejection of critical thinking, the, the embracing of superstition and chaos. That is where the bad behaviors come from. These women, they had some motivation, whether it be of good intent or not, we can't really tell. And, and again, I don't, I don't know them, so I'm not going to, to pass judgment on their motivations. But something was there that allowed them to create a system of thinking, which they were so dedicated to, that they had no situational awareness or rationality in that moment. And that's something we really need to, to think about. Anthony, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just because they had one virtue doesn't mean that they were doing anything good. That's for certain. And clearly here, I mean, I think the argument could be made that they had a couple virtues here. They had, you know, the desire to help someone, possibly. Hopefully that's what it was. Yeah. And they also they they certainly had, it seems, the um, the virtue of faith. But what they had faith in was the wrong thing. Yeah, and that's the thing. We're not justifying their behavior by saying they may have had good intent. What we're pointing out is sometimes you can have good intent, but picking one virtue can actually lead you to do terrible things. They can do tragic things and even evil things when people pick just a single virtue. A uh, famous theologian and, and thinker of the 20th century, or yeah, 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, in his book Orthodoxy, makes the claim that when a religious structure collapses, the danger is not in the vices being let loose, but the danger is in the letting loose of virtues. And this is a really important thing because the virtue of helping a child, people can all sort of come to terms with. But what happens when you just pick that virtue and it comes at the expense of 
basic things like sensory feedback from children being distressed. It takes you to a place where you throw your wisdom aside and you say, well, I'm going to chop another child's head off. Picking one virtue and casting all the others aside can really do some dangerous things. We've seen this happen a lot in our culture. When we look at the the scandals which has come out in Hollywood, uh, we've seen where our culture has tried to take what it means to be in a, a healthy family structure, and they've they've tried to say, well, the nuclear family is not necessary. It's not necessary for kids to have, have parents who raise them with, with positive influences. We've seen that even all sorts of things have happened which have challenged the traditional virtues, um, and there's a pathological conclusion to what happens when you tear down moral, moral architecture without seeing how complicated it really is. For instance, when you, you separate the cause and effects of power and, and, and reward, you see a lot of people who are turning into predators because there's not a lot of safeguards to stop that. And a lot of this, this predation we've seen going on really comes from the tearing down of the, the moral architectures of the family. And so often we, we think we can pick and choose virtues, but we don't realize what we're missing out. The moral architecture, which we find in, in Christ, the roots are very, the very roots of Western civilization come from this, are much more complex than we realize they are. Yeah, and you know, I I'd like to remind people that you know we're we're pulling the example of roaming virtues out of the superstitious, but it applies to so much more yeah. than superstitious situations. It applies to many many things. Whenever people choose a single good thing, a single transcendent good thing to hold on to and pursue that is that causes a whole quake of terrible things. Yeah. Well, as we, we look at this, and we even see the evolution from the, the family history that was shared a bit, I know, Anthony, you had, you had read a bit about what one of the, the ladies who was carrying this out, what her daughter had said about her mother. So it wasn't the daughter who was involved in this. It wasn't the little girl who was uh, the one who was harmed in this situation, but the, the daughter of one of the sisters who were the, I guess you could say, subjects carrying out the ritual. She had something yeah. interesting to say um, about the Bossier's daughter was quoted in saying if she could have one thing to say to her mom, it would be to put faith in God, not voodoo. It's not her. And you know, that that's really a super specific and um, simple way to say what we're expressing here also. You yeah. know, that she's got her faith in the wrong stuff. And Well, even more than that, you were saying that her, her mother actually started off as a, as a Christian and then moved away from that into the voodoo. Oh, yeah. At one point in time, um, according to Labossier's daughter, Labossier was a Catholic and was quoted by the daughter saying that voodoo was devil worship. Now, later on, whenever her sister moved in, the aunt of the one making the quotes, um, it said that her voodoo started to intensify. And the daughter actually remembers a similar ritual being performed on her, but it was only with oils. Yeah. No fires or anything like that. She actually was kicked out of the house for not agreeing to the more um, intensifying voodoo that was taking place. Yeah, so just to be clear about that piece of the story, the the two sisters who carried out the ritual on this five-year-old girl and also this boy that was involved, in the past, the one of the sisters was a, a Catholic and the other was into voodoo. And when the two sisters moved in together, the influence of one somehow was also on the, the niece slash daughter, and they were performing rituals on her, and the one sister actually left the church to go into voodoo. And she went from having a mentality of saying voodoo is devil worship to then being involved in it. So 
that's interesting as well. And this is brings me to the point is we've got to get back to the church um, simply for for the fact that our society needs a, a moral architecture and also because it's it's just the, the calling we have placed on our lives. If we want to have a healthy society, it really starts from having healthy individuals. And again, I'm not a universalist. I'm not the one making the utilitarian argument that we need to be in church because of the utility of the good morality. But I'm saying this is a byproduct that our society must recognize. When we get to the point where we say we're casting out the moral architecture, you know, it takes all of five seconds to say those things are of the past are not relevant today. It's all superstition. It takes no time or critical thinking to come up with those notions which are not substantiated, and yet it takes thousands of years to realize that maybe these things are not just rooted in the, the past, maybe they're not just relative to a different age, but maybe the morality that's been handed down to us is actually a gift of, of enhancing society, of not moving us towards chaos, but moving away from it. And that's really one of the things we've got to recognize, that the church has to recognize the need for teaching one another morality and, and building the moral architecture in our communities. We've got to get back to that. And so we're going to move away from this this now. Um, Anthony, do you have any last thoughts on this voodoo incident before we talk a little bit about love? No, I mean, not really. Uh, the only thing I'd like to add to the story really was just that, you know, the mother involved, the mother of the five-year-old girl. Yeah. I'm sure her intent was pretty great as well. You know, she actually wasn't arrested for this taking place, even though she had knowledge of it. They're testing her mental capabilities currently to decide whether or not um, you know, she should be convicted of any charge. Yeah, there. But um, you know, there's there's a large possibility that this was all done in naivety. Yeah, you know, it's as very possible in, as an innocent attempt to do something, attempt to do something good. You know, yeah, and I don't obviously have that's not what took place. We don't have enough information now to attribute motive, but there is a solid argument to be made that when you pick and choose virtues, bad things can happen, and we'll leave that there. So let's transition now to the topic of love. And this is a, a extension of the, the notion of not just picking and choosing virtues, but realizing that with each virtue, something like the call to love, there's actually a little bit more to it. You can't just separate that off and, and pick what pieces and parts of it you like. So God calls us to pe be people of love. Pretty much everyone in the church has heard this at some point in time, and even people who aren't. And if you haven't, then I'm not sure where you've, you've been if you're a church-going person. But the commandment is not as vague as that just God commands people to love. It's, we often make it out to be something very simple, sort of like a one-word platitude, but it's actually quite a bit more than that. If we look actually at the language when Jesus commands people to be uh, a people of love, he says, I want you to, to love one another as I have loved you. And that's something which is quite specific because there's more to it than just a, again, a one-word platitude. It adds two deep layers to the conversation. The first is the fact that Christ tells people to love one another. Interestingly, love is not naturally reciprocated. This is also something that our pop culture may not be aware of. Just because you love someone doesn't mean they're going to return that. Oftentimes, we see times where parents and children do not have a uh, reciprocal love with one another. The parent may love the child, and the child may, may not have that re relationship returned to the parent as an adult. We sometimes even see parents who don't love their children are negligent in those situations. We see it with, with spouses, with friends. We see it all across the, the board where people are not returning the love which is given to them. We see people who are antisocial, who, who want to manipulate and take advantage of people who want to love them. And, of course, antisocial does not mean shy. It means something quite different than that. It's those things which are against healthy uh, norms. 
And as we, we're called to, to love one another, Christ says, when people love you, return that love. Be someone who is actually building relationships and having reciprocal love. But it doesn't just end there because a lot of people can take that and say, well, it's just empathy. There's more to the love of Christ than mere empathy. And it's important that we realize the next part of this commandment is to love as Christ loved. And Christ's love is always moving people out of chaos towards something better, towards the holy nature of God, towards something which is, is transformative in a very productive way. It's not transformation into chaos, it's transformation out of it. And that is something we must always remember. Because if we are to love as Christ loved, not only does that mean we reciprocate love, but it also means we do what we can to transform people to a better place. Anthony? Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, you know, um, loving in the manner that Christ loved also means that you should completely avoid identity politics. Yeah. Whether or not you think you're doing it for good reasons or bad reasons, you know, I honestly, I've had to deal with this uh, a little bit personally myself, and it's irritating to see that, you know, people will treat other people badly because of identity politics, but it's it's equally irritating to see that people will treat other people better as well yeah. just because of identity politics you know it needs to be assessed on an individual level basis yeah in the same manner that christ did you know yeah and again christ always he, he doesn't treat people as group identities he treats people as individuals we see that whether you look at someone like nicodemus the, the samaritan woman there's oh my goodness there, there's so many stories in the new testament christ always meets people whether at individually doesn't give this one size uh fits all random transformation but it's very deliberate it's we're going to meet you Whatever personal situation you're in, we're going to deal with that and move you out of that towards the holiness of God. There's always a, a specific aim in which the transformation of Christ goes, but it's it's unique to whatever circumstances people are in. That's really important to remind. So that that's great thoughts there, Anthony. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, for those of you who are in our audience, we, we greatly appreciate you spending the time with us. One of you sent us a, a new mixing board. We are so appreciative of that. We're working on getting all of that sorted out. Thank you so much for that. If you would like to help us out, please just share our content. You can find our free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and CastBox. Personally, I really like CastBox. And if anyone is curious, I've had a few people uh, message me privately and people ask in a few different places if we are Catholic. We are not. We are with the Church of the Nazarene. I'm a, a reverend in the Church of the Nazarene, pastoring a, a Nazarene congregation here in the, the Jolton area of, of Nashville. And we are Wesleyans with the Church of the Nazarene, very close to the Methodists. So anyways, we're going to wrap things up there, and please have a blessed day.